by way of introduction, just so you know, we are about to start a 15-week journey. <laughs> uh, with, I, I usually don't do sermon series, but um, it has occurred to me that with all the debate that goes on in the church today between those people that are called conservatives and, and progressives and all of that kind of stuff, I always keep coming back to the same thing, is why don't we do, why don't we follow, why don't we pay attention to what Jesus taught? <laughs> and, of course, when I started really digging into that, what I found out is, is because we don't want to. We do not want to deal with what Jesus taught. And there was, uh, years ago, uh, when I was in school, there was a book written called The Other Jesus by Lloyd Ogilvie. Now, I will admit, <laughs> as a progressive <coughs> pastor, there are people who are going to be familiar with uh, Lloyd Ogilvie and go, why are you going to talk about him? Because he's about as conservative and evangelical as they come. Well, it's because he had guts enough to do what most of us haven't done, and that is to identify the Jesus that we need to have a relationship with if we're really going to call ourselves Christians, if we're really going to call ourselves followers of Christ. And, you know, there's like, I think when you, when you do the exegetical work in the Bible, there's like 150 different sayings of Jesus. There's about 10 to 15, depending on who you talk to, that are really, really hard. And the reason that they're hard is because, number one, they're hard to understand, amen? You know, we just don't know what he was talking about. Or it seems like we're on an island, a group of islands, you know, and you're kind of floating around the island and you're trying to make, make connection and you don't know which beach it is that you've got to stop at. Others are hard because, well, quite frankly, they're difficult for us to live what Jesus is saying. And not to give away too many of the sermons, but what do you do when Jesus says that not only do you have to forgive once or seven times, but you've got to forgive 70 times, 70 times seven. That's a hard saying, and I dare say that most of us don't want to deal with it. The other thing is that makes these sayings really hard is because the teaching of them actually cuts right into our heart. It goes right to where we live. You know, that, that place, you know, you notice when I pray that I ask for, for God to give words that are going to go not only to our hearts and our minds, but our soul. That place where nobody else but you and God goes. You know, they say integrity. The definition of integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. Amen? Okay? So, these hard sayings of Jesus are, they're what you do with them when nobody's looking, when nobody can sit there and go, good job, or oh my God, how could you possibly believe that? These are all very individualized teachings for us, and mostly what we have done in the universal traditional church is we have decided that they're too hard and we ignore them, for the most part. And by the way, and yes, I'm, I know that I'm on Facebook Live today, so I'm going to really upset some people when I say, quite frankly, the mainline traditional churches don't tackle these, head, these hard sayings very often because it's going to cost them money. 
Amen. It's going to cost them money because people are going to do just like what you're about to hear happened in this particular scripture reading. So there is the setup. You know, and the other thing I will tell you is whatever, whatever you've had in your mind about who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about, during these next 15 weeks or so, I would ask you to try to set that aside. If you've got a superstar image of Jesus in your head, put that off to the side. If you've got an image in your head that Jesus is, is, is the Messiah, the one that you've got to fall down and grovel in front of and admit all of your sins in order to be okay with God, set that off to the side. If Jesus is the master magician, set that off to the side. Let his words massage in your mind. Let us be willing to be open to understand the culture in the day of Jesus and what that was all about. And what was he really trying to teach us? What does it mean when we get done with this? What does it mean not to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? So with that, and, and I made a mistake with the bulletin when I proofread it. I completely missed it. The, the actual reading itself is from the sixth chapter of John. And the main part of the verse is John 6, uh, starting with the 53rd verse uh, through the 56th verse. But I'm going to back up a little bit so that you get context. I'm going to start at the 47th. I am telling you the most solemn and sober truth now. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna, bread in the desert, and died. But now, here is bread that truly comes down from heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die, ever. I am the bread, the living bread. Who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live and forever. The bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live is myself. This is the flesh and blood self. At this, the Jews started fighting among themselves. How can this man serve up his flesh as a meal? And Jesus didn't give an inch. Only insofar as you eat and drink flesh and blood, the flesh and blood of the Son of Humanity, do you have life within you. The one who brings a hearty appetite to this eating and drinking has eternal life and will be fit and ready for the final day. My flesh, excuse me, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. By eating my flesh, drinking my blood, you enter into me and I into you. In the same way that the fully alive Father sent me here, I, am, I live because of God. So the one who makes a meal of me lives because of me. This is the bread from heaven. Your ancestors ate bread and later died. Whoever eats this bread will live always. He said these things while teaching in a meeting place in Capernaum. And many of his disciples heard this and they said, this is a tough teaching. This is too tough to swallow. No pun intended, I guess. 
Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this, and he says, does this throw you off completely? What would, you, what would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything. Every word I have spoken to you is spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part of this. So ends the reading. Now, in the more traditional versions of this, what we, what we hear in that story is that after, immediately after Jesus says that, not only did the Jews start fighting among themselves, but they left. I mean, they just left, you know. And again, remember the setup for Jesus. Everywhere he went, he had big crowds, did he not? And they were all there for what? What he was going to do next, amen? I mean, you know, it was kind of funny. Uh, <clears throat> we have a certain politician now that has learned the art of getting people's attention by getting them to think about, what am I going to do next, amen? That is just the way people are. If we find somebody... We will follow them. We will watch them just to see what they're going to do. And Jesus had that kind of reputation. He had been doing healings. He had been bringing people in <clears throat> previously had been left out. So he also had the religious leaders not too particularly happy with him either. Because, you know, he's talking about an inclusive message. He's dealing with women like nobody's ever dealt with women before. I mean, they're sitting down with him at lunch. They're touching him and receiving healing. He's doing all these things. And so he was quite controversial. So now he comes up with this phraseology. I want to ask just a question. How many of you are familiar with what I just read? Have you heard this reading before? Okay. Alright, and so you know <clears throat> that this reading is the history of the Roman Catholic Church, right? And communion, and why they do communion the way they do communion. You know, it's this, this theological term called transubstantiation. That when you have communion after you've blessed the wine and the host, it becomes the body and the blood. It is why so many critics from uh, outside of Christianity refer to Christianity as being into cannibalism. Amen? And it's all because of this phrase that Jesus used. Now, let me ask you something. If you were back in Jesus' time, before you went to an event that Jesus was at, that he was appearing at, how would you have found out that he was there. Word of mouth. <laughs> Word of mouth. You're sure not going to get a text message, are you? There's nothing going to be said on CNN. As a matter of fact, anything that you know about Jesus is going to be because what? <clears throat> People have start, start talking about it. And what's the other thing that we know about that time? We know that their language in the day was different than ours, amen? You know, our English language is the English language of what? The 21st century. What language did Jesus speak? Aramaic. Aramaic. Greek was a, was a common 
uh, form of language in the area at the time as well. Do we still speak that form of Aramaic or Greek in today's world? Nope. It's a dead language, almost as dead as Latin. But we still have Latin. And why do we have Latin? It's the only way that you can understand what? The Bible, when it first started, it was written in the Latin Vulgate. And then it was translated into the King's English. So here's my point to you this morning. How many of you, if you take the Bible at its word, if you take the Bible seriously, think that Jesus literally meant that he was the bread of heaven, that you had to take a bite out of him in order to be okay with God. Anybody believe that? Right. You don't believe that. But what do you do with that, right? Oh, wait, I know. We dismiss it. We just don't deal with it. And you know, folks, that's where we get into trouble. Because if we don't investigate this stuff, when we get into these debates, you know, you've all been in those debates if you've been around the GLBTQ community for any amount of time. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. You either believe what the Bible says or you're not going to go and be with God. All right. So let's take that stand for a minute. We believe what the Bible says, that it's without error. Well, excuse me, what the hell is this? You're telling me I got to take a bite out of the Messiah in order to be okay? That doesn't even, on the silliest sense, or on the silliest level, make sense. But does that mean I could dismiss what he's saying? Because he's talking to a whole group of people. And we know that Jesus was, if Jesus was anything, he was what? <laughs> he was very intuitive. And he was willing to put choices in front of people. Amen? And he put a choice here in front of folks. Because again, in the older translations of this, People ran away when he said this, right? And then at one point in, in the older translations, he turns around and looks at the disciples when the disciples start griping about what he said. And he said, are you leaving too? So we have a choice here. We're either going to stick with the teachers of Jesus, you know, we're going to be willing to struggle with the struggle, or we're going to leave. And Jesus knew that. That this is a yes-no question. However, as we're sitting here today, that doesn't make any sense to us. Because he's still talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. And, and, and the Catholics, that's, yeah, that's their communion thing. And I know that deep in my heart, that doesn't make any sense to me. <clears throat> but I, I, I'm just not going to deal with this. You do yourself a disservice. Because here's what that phrase meant in Jesus' day. People in the day who worked so hard to the point of exhaustion, right? They'd been out in the fields. They'd been doing whatever. Here is the phraseology that they would use after working to the point of exhaustion. I have eaten my body and drunk my blood. 
I have eaten my body, I have drunken my blood. They have, in other words, given themselves completely to the task that they were at, at hand. They have totally gotten into that. So if you're out there digging ditches or holes or whatever it was that they had to do in those days and you come in and you're exhausted, you're all but dehydrated. The phrase was then as this day, I've eaten my body. I drank my blood. There's nothing left. Wait a minute. Really? Does that change what Jesus said then? Oh my. Oh my. Jesus tells us that we've got to give everything to our relationship with him. We have got to be so invested that we will sit back and say, I have eaten my body, I have drank my blood to be with you. Wow. That is a hard saying of Jesus that I'm glad that we dig into and figure out what it actually means. Because it's got nothing to do with cannibalism. It's got nothing to do with any of the theology that we've heard so much about over the last, I don't know how many years. What it is really about is what is your commitment to Jesus? What is your commitment to God? You see, it all of a sudden made me realize that the people at the time of Jesus that were listening to him say that, and at the end of it, they were like, oh, this is disgusting. How dare he say that? Well, now it makes sense. It wasn't because they were disgusted because he was talking about cannibalism or getting bit. It was because that he dared put himself in a position of saying, I am from God. Well, that did not rock and roll too well in the day. Because there were already criticisms out there. Look, this is the guy who wouldn't let us kill the prostitute. This is the guy who healed that woman who wasn't even a Jew. This is a guy who healed the Romans. You know, the Romans, the people that are oppressing us. He healed that dude's son. Oh, yeah, and let's talk about the miracle. You know, when all those people were following him around and they were hungry and the disciples said, we got to get rid of them because we can't take care of them. And Jesus said, no problem. We'll take care of them. And he fed, what was it, 5,000? And he didn't ask, what is your faith? Have you been to temple? <laughs> Have you made the right sacrifice? To confess your sins. You know what? This guy wants me to invest in him 100%? I don't think so. And I think I understand why. It wasn't because it was gross. It was because they understood exactly, exactly what he wanted. Now, I will wrap up today by saying I would suspect that for most of us, this is kind of our experience with the Bible, isn't it? When we read stories, that for many of us, we read the whole thing through cover to cover. We've done that at one time or another. 
And yet when we come back to it and we have more mature eyes, or maybe we've heard a sermon like this, we read it again, and it, and it gives us a new truth. But it's not just reading the Bible that makes the difference. God will open our eyes and our ears and to hear things that were once both invisible and incomprehensible to us. This is why it is important, folks, when we study Jesus, that we take everything that he said and that we try to look at it in the context in which he said it. Because this is a very simple message from Jesus. You're either with me or you're not. Wow. We do what we do because what? We love God. You're either with me or you're not. You know, I always find it funny that people think I'm a wonderful Christian. They think I'm a wonderful pastor right up until the find, they find out that I have a husband. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, you can't be a Christian. Or they find out other people are trans. Oh my God, you can't really be a real believer. Oh my God, you didn't vote for somebody. So you can't be a true evangelical. This phrase makes all the difference in the world. You're either into the teachings of Jesus or you're not. You're either invested or you're not. I know I've been quite amazed by the reaction that I get out of Bible studies. I had a friend in one of these studies that was, it was a particularly significant time because he shared his life. He shared how he got to that Bible study, told his truth about his relationship with God and the church and where he was at that day and how God had rescued him from a, as he described, this, this, this is his words, a deep pile of shit. There were people that were listening to his story that night at that Bible study that objected to his phrase and didn't hear anything else he said. There were other people who were absolutely moved by his story and come to know God in a new way. And as I said, there were others who got nothing out of it. And you know what? There's no point in arguing with those folks, is there? Because the simple fact of the matter is they couldn't see what he was offering with his story. It's the same thing with Jesus. Those people that just walk away because they say, no, look, we're not going to be cannibals, and I can't make that kind of investment. Okay. They walk away. But for us, the choice is to be there and part of that. You know, uh, Alice loves country music. Absolutely loves it. Every time she preaches, if she's got special music, what does she find? She finds something. <laughs> you know, they're going to be country. For her... God talks loud and clear through country. I don't get it. I really don't. But that does not mean that God is not speaking. Do you hear me? Modern art. Anybody get into modern art? Oh, my God. I look at modern art. Yeah, see? You love it, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. And you can stand there for 45 minutes and discuss the meaning of life. I look at it and go... You know, I could have done that by throwing some paint on the wall. However, if we take this lesson today and where Jesus was coming from and why he chose 
to use that turn of a phrase. It's about investment. It's about getting into. So folks, guess what? This isn't corporate. This is about you. How invested are you in your faith? It's really sad because the churches stand empty today for lots of reasons. But I think one of the biggest reasons is, is people have quit struggling. We have to struggle with our faith because it's not easy. Yes, this teaching was out there and it wasn't right. But you know, when, when you dismiss teachings because you don't think it's right or it doesn't fit you and you don't go any deeper, then you do yourself a disservice. So what we're going to do over the next 14 weeks, hopefully, is look at those things that we've all passed off and get some new truths so that we can indeed praise God because we're willing to struggle to keep struggling. God bless you.